Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. I'm going to begin uh, the message here in video format and then in a little while I'll jump back to live, but I wanted to begin this week because I wanted to show you something that God showed me in a dream. And to say that God speaks to us in our dreams probably sounds more bizarre to say it than what it actually is because God does speak to us when we read his word, uh, when we hear a message or do a devotional reading. And uh, it's no different than God getting our attention uh, in a dream. And he did that for to me Wednesday morning. And I'm not going to share you all the details of the dream, but just the one part that I really believe God said, this is a message I want you to get. So just quickly into the point in this, there's a dream uh, I met a pastor so this pastor uh, in my dream he pastored a church called New Hope Church and for some reason had a Scandinavian accent I don't know what that meant but he took me to this big warehouse which was just filled with stuff and, and junk and nothing particularly interesting except for he went out and he got this uh, spray can of green paint and he began to spray this line up on the wall of the warehouse and it looked something like this. And he told me that this line represented a pathway, a road that we as people are to take, to move forward. And then when he explained that to me, he, he sprayed again on the wall, but not a pathway, but just a kind of blotches. And some of the blotches had uh, more concentration than others. It looked something like this. And he said, this is a parking lot. This is where cars or people settle and aren't moving. And I looked at the picture of the parking lot and the pathway, and instantly I could see the difference. The pathway we, 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 we take moves us somewhere in a particular direction. We, we gather together on this narrow road, and together we walk it. Where in the parking lot we're scattered and sitting and not mobile. And it was quite a, a picture for me. And I realized he was telling me that part of what we do as a church is to get us to go from being immobile, from sitting and, and into being active and to take the path that God calls us to. When the dream was over, I woke right up. It was a little before 6 a.m. and I wrote it down in my computer so I wouldn't forget the message I believe God wanted me to know. And I began my devotional time and I turned on the TV to watch a church service that was recorded on the previous Sunday. And I found this one where this pastor, like many, were just by himself leading a congregation online. And he began his service with this prayer. Listen to this prayer. He said, Lord God, Easter is not just an event that has occurred. It is a journey that has begun. The empty tomb is not just a place we have visited but it is a pathway on which we step forward. And I thought, isn't that interesting how that prayer that I first heard that day tied into the message that I heard and saw in the dream and how our Christian life is not just an event that has occurred. It is a journey that has begun. And our Christian life isn't just a place that we visit, but it is a pathway on which we step forward. 
this message ties so well into what we've been looking at in Joshua. Last week, we, we looked in Joshua chapter 1, where the call went out to the people to prepare and make provisions to move forward, to cross over the Jordan. They were a lot like that line. That they were gathering together, ready to move forward. And how that compared to their parents and grandparents who way back in Numbers chapter 13 came to the very same spot, right up to the edge of the promised land. But when they saw the obstacles, when they understood there would be difficulty, and they saw the changes they would have to do and make and the cost they'd have to pay, they said, we're not going. We're not going to do it. And they became like that parking lot. They just suddenly stopped and stayed still. They're not going to move. They're not going to go anywhere. In fact, they went backwards, back into the wilderness where they would die. You notice the line in, in, in my dream wasn't a straight line. And that's because God seldom takes us in straight lines. Many times there's detours or the long way we have to take because God wants us to learn lessons. He wants us to um, have faith for what lies ahead. So the Bible talks a lot about walking in faith and the pathway which leads us forward. And here's one verse that you will know in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the, in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. And get this, and He will show you which path to take. You see, God needed people of faith to occupy this promised land. He didn't need a people who would doubt who would choose to lean on their own understanding. Rather, he needed people who would take the path he showed them. Not people who would refuse to move forward. And for me, it's so sad that there are these people who would want to confess Jesus as Lord of their life, but choose to live in the wilderness or the parking lot. And I'm determined not to be counted among them. And I understand there's personal cost in making that statement but I want God to show me which path to take and then walk in faith on that path I want to walk in the victory of God's promises not in the wilderness of my own understanding there is a cost to moving forward but I believe there's a greater and more devastating cost to staying put and this is what this unbelieving, untrusting generation discovered in Numbers 13. God sent them back to the parking lot where they waited until they died. So we're going to visit Joshua 1 and 2 today and learn that it is time to get on board. And this is what this unbelieving, untrusting generation discovered in Numbers 13. God sent them back to the parking lot. They waited. All right, everybody. There's something still. Why is that, David? And. Oh, there we go. I am truly thankful for David back in Mission Control because we are live. You know, um, a lot of churches, they have recorded their services and everything's polished, but you can see by the mistakes we make that, nope, we are coming to you live today. And we're in the book of Joshua. And um, I, you know, I take these stories from the Bible seriously. And we read them in God's word. We, we hear them preached in God's church. But it's my responsibility 
to search my heart and ask God, is there any place where I'm settling for the parking lot? Am I, Lord, anywhere leaning on my understanding, refusing to see the path that you're putting before me that you want me to take? So in Joshua's day, they're, they're getting ready to move the army, the people to cross this Jordan River into the promised land. And they had to physically get on the path. They had to physically move forward because God said to them, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. So to gain the blessing of the land, he had to step into it. This, and this required faith. It, it, it's that command and uh, promise principle. God says, I give this to you, Joshua, but first you must step out in faith and obey. You see, Joshua could not just sit east of the Jordan in the parking lot and say, hey, that's, that's our land over there. You know, God says it's ours. Boy, I think it's great that, you know, we have this land over on the other side of the Jordan. Isn't that, isn't that tremendous? They couldn't sit in the parking lot and claim that land. They had to step out and move forward in faith, which meant they had to take this path that was going to lead them through the Jordan to where they actually stepped foot into the land. And yeah, we talked about how they will face obstacles and they're going to have to fight for this land. But wherever they set foot, God said, I'm going to give this land to you. And he gave them, uh, Joshua, this insurance. God said, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I'll be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. So as Christians... And as a church, we can't afford to look at God's promises from a distance. We can't sit in the parking lot of life and experience how good God's promises are. We have been learning that God's promises are often prefaced with these commands that we must take and these commands we must walk out in faith if we're going to realize and experience the promise God gives us. So later in chapter three of Joshua, and, and, you know, the people put their faith in practice literally by stepping forward. They're ready to cross this Jordan River, but it's springtime. It's the springtime harvest and the waters are rushing and overflowing its banks. And in order, if you enter these waters, it would certainly wash a grown man away, let alone women, children and livestock. In chapter three, God says, give this command to the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. And I want you to try to picture yourself as one of those priests. You're carrying this beloved, precious Ark of the Lord. And you're standing at the shores of this mighty rushing river and God says, step into it. When I'm driving along the Niagara Parkway above the falls, I marvel at those rapids <laughs> twisting violently, throwing themselves down towards the falls. It's, a, it's beautiful, and I love looking at them and water splashing up, but I say to myself, I'm glad I don't have to trespass those waters. I don't have to step into those waters. So what are you thinking? You're, you're standing at the shore of the rushing Jordan River carrying this precious ark, and Joshua says, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord 
of all the earth, as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream. The river will stand still up like a wall. And you're probably saying to yourself, I wish God would first stop the waters, then I'll step into it. Right? That's a lot easier. But he says, no, while the water's rushing, while it looks crazy, I want you to step into that river. God is asking you to take a little, literal step of faith. You see, this is no parking lot. <laughs> this is no time to sit and theorize and debate the promises of God. You've been commanded to step out, out into the pathway of faith, to move toward the claim that God said he has given you. So we read in verses 15 and 16, it was the harvest season. This was the spring harvest season. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at the town of Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the river bed was dry. Then, yeah, that's always the way it is. You, you obey, then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. And that's what happens in chapter three. But let's go back to chapter two for a moment because we're going to counter another story of a person choosing to step out in faith to save their life and to save the life of their family. And in Joshua chapter two, that's where we find the story of, of Rahab. She lived in that wall city of Jericho, the city where these Joshua and the men would come and conquer. And usually when Rahab's name is mentioned in the Bible, it's linked to her profession. She's called Rahab the prostitute. And we're glad for Rahab's story because God shows us how redemption is possible for those who we think are least, least qualified for it. For example, uh, Rahab is, was a pagan living in a pagan land. Secondly, she is a woman and women back in the day had lower status in society. And thirdly, and finally, strike three, she was a prostitute. She was immoral. So Reagan's a pagan female prostitute. And yet this woman Rahab, named Rahab, is found and listed in the Bible's Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Rahab was a pagan female prostitute who's found listed in Matthew 1.5 where it lists Jesus' genealogy. She's related to Christ himself. How is that possible? Well, that's what we're going to find out. Before entering the land, um, Joshua sent in two spies to check Jericho out. Unlike Moses, he only sent two, not 12. And unlike Moses, he sent them in secretly. Uh, the people did not know, and that's another sermon why he did all these things. But two spies went to the house of Rahab, the prostitute, and she knows Israelites are coming. She knows that the city where she lives is in trouble. Like any person, she wants her life to be spared. She wants the family, her family's lives to be spared. And Rahab and her family will be spared because she begins taking these steps she needed to take to reach that end. For example, number one, she confessed to the truth. We read in Joshua 3, 8, and 11, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk to them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. 
For we have heard how the Lord had made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what God did, uh, what, what, what you did to Shion and Og, the two Ammonite kings, east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So everyone in Jericho knew about God. They, they knew what he had done, but only Rahab went further to actually confess this truth. And she was ready to leave the parking lot. She was ready to change her life. She goes on saying that, I know the Lord has given you this land. For, your, for the Lord your God is the supreme God above the heavens, above the earth, and the earth below. I know, she says. I'm convinced. That was her personal conviction. And she's ready to risk everything for it. It reminded me of the time when the Apostle Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. And he, and he writes to Timothy, the man, young man he's mentoring. He says, and God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That's why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it. For I know, I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. I know was the personal conviction of Paul. I know was the personal conviction of Rahab. Even though no one else in the land would risk such a confession, she did. I wonder if you possess that kind of personal conviction towards God. You know, there's this, this creed called the Apostles' Creed. It was not written by the apostles, but it's one of the oldest creeds we have of the Christian church. It basically professes, I know, I believe, I acknowledge. And let's look at it together. It says, I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. That means he was separated from God the Father. He really was experiencing hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's now with the Father and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall be come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Catholic Church was, is, is the big C church, universal church. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And I really, honestly, I'm wondering, do you believe that? Are you convicted by this truth? Do you believe it to the point where you're willing to risk everything, not to compromise on anything that that doctrine says about who God is, who Jesus is, what our state is? Personal convictions are so important because they determine the path you set out on. And here's the funny thing about paths. They always take you somewhere. They always lead you somewhere. Are you today walking in faith 
Is that your path? It is then, it's as if God, you know, he, he, he wants to promise that if we walk that path, he would help us. In Psalm 119, 105, he says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light from my path. So as we spend time in God's word, we receive this direction because his word becomes this light unto the path where we can see what and where we need to step next through this life. We do not, we choose not to rely on our own understanding, but we seek his will and he will show us the path to take. The Bible says, then you'll no longer be immature like children. You won't be tossed and blown about by every new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So Rahab began taking this step to changing her life, moving out of the parking lot, getting on the path. And the first step she took was, I'm confessing to the truth. I know who God is. I know what he's done. Secondly, she asked for mercy. She wanted to apply this truth to her life. So Rahab said to these spies of Joshua, now swear to me by the Lord that you'll be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Rahab knew that her life and all those who lived in Jericho were living under a death sentence. But she was the only one bold enough to confess to the truth about God. She was the only one bold enough to say, show me mercy. I know it's going to happen. We all know it's going to happen. Forgive me. Show me mercy. It wasn't enough for Rahab to know the truth. She needed to align her life to the truth. She needed to confess God is true. She needed to confess her need for his mercy. She couldn't sit in the parking lot and say, yeah, I know it's true over there. I know that God is real. I know he's true. I know what he's done. I know that he can forgive me and save me. I'm not going to do anything about it. She did something about it. And I wonder if you have done something about it. And perhaps you know who God is and, and you know what he's done, but have you asked him for mercy in your life? Have you asked him for forgiveness? Have you come to the place where you realize that we are all under this death sentence? Because death is a consequence of sin and all of us have sinned. The good news is eternal life is a consequence of confessed sin and receiving his gift of mercy. Can you testify to that today as Rahab did? Finally, she believed in the promise. She confessed She asked for mercy and she believed in the promise. Rahab wanted mercy. She wanted her life to be spared. So the spies said to her, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window, which you let us down with. The rope was hanging out her window. Her house was built into the wall of the city. And that's how the spies escaped. And then they said, and all your family members, your father, mother, and brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they're going to be saved. So Rahab, think about this. She would have to risk all by stepping onto this path to this place where she fully trusted God. In faith, she would risk reaching out to her family. She would have to go to them and say, listen, our lives are in danger. Come to my house. You'll be safe. You'll be saved. 
In faith, she risked trusting the promise given to her by hanging that scarlet red cord out her window, believing that would protect her from the word of those men. In faith, she was willing to risk everything and leave her old life and embrace the life which God was calling her to. And I'm mindful how this whole story began back in Egypt for the Israelites, how they were enslaved and they're crying out to God for help. And Moses was sent and Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh learned about God's power. He witnessed the plagues in his land. Pharaoh knew about God's judgment of death was coming. And yet he refused to confess, repent and trust God. And remember how the angel of death came that night and every firstborn of every family of every animal herd would die except for those who listened to God, who put their faith in the practice and put the blood of the lamb over their doorways. Those who did that were spared. The people of Jericho knew God's power. They knew they would face him and they were terrified, but only Rahab was humble enough to say, I know, I'm confessing, I admit it. Only Rahab acted on what she knew, and it would be only her home with the blood red cord hanging out the window that would be spared death. All those in that house would be free. Too many people, I know this, they know in their heart that God is real. They know that it's true. They know that in their heart, the Bible is real, that it's true. They know that Jesus died on the cross, that it's real. They know that it's real and true. And they know his victory over death actually happened. They know death is coming. There'll be a judgment. There's an eternity. There's a heaven. There is a hell. But just like the people of Jericho, they know it. But they never choose to step out and act on it. It's like they remain in the parking lot, not moved. This is what Rahab did. She confessed to knowing what she knew about God was true. She asked for mercy. She had believed in the promise. She risked her testimony. She went out and shared the truth with their family. And I don't know if they all came, if they all believed, but I know many of them did because the Bible says this. It says, meanwhile, this is when they're coming to attack, ready to go into Jericho. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mothers, brothers, and all her relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Jericho. She had to risk everything to gain everything. And I want you to think about this next sentence you'll see on the screen. She was willing to risk everything she was on who God is. Rahab was willing to risk everything she was on who God is. That's the point of the message. He said it in one sentence. Am I willing to risk everything who I am on who God is? Rahab did. Others in her life did not see the value of her life. In the eyes of society, she was just a woman. In the eye of Jewish people, she was just a pagan living in a pagan land. In the eyes of the moral person, she was a prostitute. In the eyes of God, she was worth redeeming. Rahab's faith and action saved her family that day when Joshua attacked and conquered Jericho. The Bible tells us she relocated and moved in with the people of Israel. 
Leaving her sin and shame behind, she married an Israelite man named Solomon. And Rahab finds her place in the genealogy, the history of Christ. She's related to Christ. You look at Matthew 1, 5, you'll see her name mentioned. And there's more. She's listed in the Hebrews Hall of Faith as one of the true heroes of faith. In fact, she's only one of two women mentioned in that chapter, the other being Abraham's wife, Sarah. Wow. What about you and I? Each of us has a list of liabilities in our life. But are we willing to step away from that list by faith, take our place among God's people like Rahab did? Each of us have a list of liabilities in our life, but are we willing to step away from that list and by faith take our place among God's people like Rahab did? Are we willing to abandon our shortcomings and the culture engulfing us to take a courageous stand for the truth of God? And do we have the faith to believe God for the victory in our lives? This is my prayer. It's going to be one sentence that's very simple. Lord, give me a heart willing to risk everything I am on you alone. Lord, give me that heart willing to risk everything, my confession, to be humble, to ask for mercy, to believe in your promises, to those who might reject me or judge me, or would I really risk everything I am on you alone? We're going to take communion at this time. And, and it's, a good, it's a good Sunday to do this because I want us to think about our personal convictions and what we actually believe in our heart to be true. Um, we, you know, today we say, I believe in God. I believe he's the creator. I believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God who he was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born without sin and had no sin. He suffered and it was real. It wasn't pretend. And I believe he was crucified and I believe he actually died and he was separated from God, the father that he took upon himself, our sins, what we deserved. But that wasn't the end of the story. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He sits with God. He'll be coming back someday to judge, to take us with him. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, that he, it's a gift to us today. I believe in the church, that this is God's church. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body and that there's eternal life. That is what we're remembering and confessing to as we take communion today. This is what we're acknowledging that Jesus is the son of God, that he came and he told his disciples as he tells us today, I am going to suffer. I'm going to give my body is going to be broken for you. Remember what I did. Remember what I did. Take this bread. Jesus wasn't finished. He took a cup of wine of the grape, the juice of the grape. And he said, this represents my blood. My blood is, could be shed for you. This, that is, I'm giving my life to you. This counts. This means something. This is important. Would you 
Remember, are you convicted to know the truth, to partake in this, and give thanks? Let's pray together. Lord, you know, Rahab was somebody that we would never know about unless you included her story in your story. And it's there not just to look at and go, well, that's interesting. It's there to look at going, that's my story. I'm a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. I want to confess you as Lord. I want to ask you for mercy. I believe in your promises as we trust in you that we will have life everlasting. We have life abundant and ever eternal beginning today. And I want to pray for anyone out there listening, God, who does not have that assurance that they, they would take the steps that Rahab did. Would even hear them now as they confess, God, I believe in you. I believe you created this world. And Jesus, I believe in you. You are the son of God and you came to pay a debt you didn't owe because I had a debt of sin I could not pay. I believe you. I believe you went to the cross. And on that cross was not just the physical pain, but the pain of taking upon my penalty for my sin. And I believe you rose again. And because of that, it's a cry that I too can rise over death. If I follow you, that's the path. That's the path that's going to lead me. I will go into the grave. I will not stop there. I will rise again as you did and live with you forever. So Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in your promise. I believe God and I want to start this journey on this pathway today. And I know like Jared, like Joshua, there'll be battles and temptations and setbacks, but God, I want you to go with me. I want to learn with you, build my faith in you. Would you do that? Yes, he says he will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.